Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Real Talk with Real Life. I'm Tim Alexander, and I'm your host for today's segment. Today's segment, we will be talking about grief from a stigmatized death. Joining us today is one of my personal favorites, somebody that I look up to, somebody that inspires the hell out of me. Uh, her name is Ann Moss Rogers. She is the executive director of the Beacon Tree Foundation. That's beacontree.org. And she is the mother of a child, Charles, that died from a suicide and suffered with substance use disorder and mental health. She is also a public speaker, a writer, and she started a blog called Emotionally Naked that focuses on starting dialogue about issues that often stay hidden in the dark corners of society. Those issues are such things as mental health, addiction, and suicide. She is joining us to discuss how she has dealt with the grief of losing her son and has chosen to use her experience and motivation to help others. Anne is truly a vision of hope, resilience, and inspiration, and we are delighted to have her with us today. How are you doing today, Anne? I'm doing great, Tim. Thank you for asking, and I appreciate your having me on the show for Parental Bereavement Month. So would you like to tell me a little bit about your son, Charles? I'd love to. You know, Charles was the funniest, most popular kid in school. And he was about six foot two and weighed about 130 pounds. So he was really, really thin. And he was an amazing stand-up comedian. And he was an um, up-and-coming rap artist. So I think really, he, you know, he was a creative genius. And I miss him every day. Every single day. So let me ask you, Anne, now, now that you think back of all the warning signs maybe that might have been displayed that are easily hidden, I guess, if other parents like yourself aren't looking for them, what kind of things do you notice now um, that you've kind of learned, uh, you know, a lot more about this subject and experienced it, you know, firsthand? Well, I think that early on I noticed that he was anxious a lot. He wasn't well prepared for school. He also craved connection. And he was addicted to candy, to sugar. So that, I was actually alarmed by that. What I didn't realize was the, I didn't realize he was dealing with suicidal ideation, which is suicidal thoughts. And that had to do with his depression. And it was hard to see Charles, this funny, bubbly kid who I thought loved life. It was hard to understand that he suffered from depression and he wasn't diagnosed until he was like 17 years old. And I actually had to send him out of state because I couldn't get a diagnosis in state. So anyway, he went to wilderness and a therapeutic boarding school and he graduated at a boarding school and he came home. And I just wanted to say we are not in the socioeconomic class to be able to afford all that. But my home equity loan was. Wow. So he comes home and there were definite signs of drug use that I didn't recognize. And one was the nods. He would nod off occasionally while he's talking to me. 
And I didn't know what this meant. And I would ask if he was using, and he would say no. And and he would also do things like um, leave the house for short periods of time. So I'd look around and go, Charles was just here. Where is he? And he'd pop back in five minutes later. And they meet, you know, they meet a drug dealer on the corner who basically is delivering the goods. I had been looking around trying to find paraphernalia. There were no needles. There were no tinfoil. Charles snorted it, so there was no evidence at the house. And that just, it's just really hard to realize that your child might be hurting so much that they he take his own life. And it's also very difficult to imagine your child as a heroin addict or suffering from substance use disorder. And that has such an ugly connotation. And he didn't want to be associated with that either. So when he finally did confess, he said he was addicted to Oxycontin because he was ashamed. And that, that sense of shame surrounds everything as it relates to mental health, substance use disorder, suicide, and grief. Right. And I I can tell you, Anne, you know, my heart goes out to you because through my own personal experiences with substance use disorder, also, I have had many attempts on my own life, one extremely close to being successful. I had connection issues, and I also loved candy. Um, but I got to say, you know, what, what was it like being the mother of a son with a stigmatized issue, you know? Because we know that mental health and substance use disorders are highly stigmatized. What was that like? I'll, I'll be honest with you, it was hell. Um And I remember one day logging into Facebook and I landed on a page of a mother who had a child suffering from cancer. She had hundreds of messages on that post. I'll bring your casserole. There's a card in the mail. I'm coming by to see you. Do you want to go out to lunch? What I got was silence and judgment, and when I did talk about Charles, people would cut me off mid-sentence. Wow. So I struggled so much with that lack of support until I finally found Families Anonymous, which was a lifesaver for me. I finally found a group of people with whom I could talk about, you know, the suffering with somebody with substance use disorder because you're watching someone you love, the most important person in the world to you are your children, basically self-destruct in front of your very eyes. It is, it is so agonizing to watch and to realize how utterly helpless and powerless you are against this disease. 
Right. It just takes over. As you know, it takes over your life. And I could see it taking over Charles's life. How, how do you think the, uh, the actual stigma of substance use disorder played into Charles's experience? Oh, I mean, my it, gosh. I think, that, I think it really contributed. It was a contributing factor. I really think that's why he took his own life. He called me the, either the hours before or the day before he killed himself. And I know he was reaching out for connection. And I'm, you know, I'm in an emotional state where I don't have good judgment. And I didn't make the right call. I should, I know now, but I didn't know then. I should hang up and just go get him wherever he is. Or try to find out where he is and just go get him. It's that gut and that motherly instinct, right? Right. I mean, it was like five alarm fire going off in my head. But I'm thinking, he's going to come around. He's going to ask for help. What I didn't know is he was going through withdrawal. And so that's why it wasn't making a lot of sense. But he had displayed classic signs of suicide. He had posted on his Facebook page. If I died, no one would notice for 30 days. And it's literally one of the bullet points on risk for suicide and what they say, almost word for word. But I had no idea because we don't talk about suicide. So I was unaware of the signs. I was unaware that somebody who suffers from substance use disorder and depression is six times more likely to die by suicide. That's an amazing and number. Then, I know. And the fact that he was male even increases that risk more. So we don't give we don't give our males any outlet to express their pain. And I think that is a big problem in our culture. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that as, as being a male. And I think that once, uh, you know, the the real recovery in my process started was in my ability to show emotion and to feel emotion and to let it out. And it was only through that that I began to heal. Right. You, you can't heal if you can't feel. And after, <laughs> and after Charles died... I made the conscious decision not to drink. I said that that could be a slippery slope. I was never a big drinker anyway, but I felt like it would prolong the process and I've come to find out it does. I needed, I needed to feel this pain as, and it was utterly, utterly agonizing. So I had to find coping strategies to deal with his death. And I had to figure out what was working for me. And the first one I adopted was writing. And that's why I started Emotionally Naked. Which is an awesome, awesome, awesome blog, by the way. We'll, have to... well thank you. <laughs> we have reached about 370,000 people in the last two years. 
And if you had told me that people would be sharing those posts on their Facebook pages about suicide, grief, depression, substance use disorder, relapse, you name it, I would have told you you were stark raving mad. But they have. And that's, that's the secret is we're working as a small community on a grassroots effort. Sure. It's not me by myself. It is, it is the connection with the group. So you, you feel pretty confident that, you know, things are at least moving in, in the right direction when it comes to these stigmas. I do. I mean, it's changed immensely. I started with mental health advocacy in 2010. So five years before Charles died, I was already a very public mental health advocate. It has changed a lot since then. Now, I will say it's been a very slow change, but I have seen a huge difference. I can actually, you know, I'll be invited to speak now. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine that a lot of people are looking up suicide speakers, but I do occasionally get that and I'm invited in to talk about it. And I couldn't dynamite a door down five years ago on any of those subjects. Not, not anything. Well, I got to say that, you know, I, I personally heard you speak myself and you as an individual just truly are an inspiration to so many people and the things that you have gone through and experienced. And, and it's funny because the name of the foundation that you work with is Beacon Tree, but the key word of that, I believe, is beacon, because you truly are a beacon of light. And, and um, I, I guess for the last question, what I want to ask is what, what message would you have for parents or loved ones that are going through the things that you have gone through? Well, one is find support. I think that is the first thing that needs to be done. This isn't you don't lose a child and you're not expected to go through all of this by yourself in isolation. Being strong is not isolating yourself. Being strong is the ability to reach out for help when you need it. And after you've lost a child, you need it. I needed it. I know I need it. And I still do. Because I still, three years later, have some very difficult days. It's a very long journey. And I, one more thing, you will survive it. You That's will right. survive. You will learn to live again. You will, you will learn to laugh again. Will you always miss your loved one? Yes, you will. But with time, it does soften. It does change. Yes, it does, Anne. Uh, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, like I said, you are truly, like I think of you as a mentor, and I just, you know, I really appreciate you coming down here to speak with us. I know that everybody here, we love you, we respect you, and we encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. You're, you know, just an amazing person, and I just want to say thanks. Well, thank you so much for that, Tim. That means so much that means so much to me. You just don't even know how much that means to me. Yes, ma'am. Okay, until next time.
All right. I will see you shortly. <laughs>